0: Hi there. Welcome to Wooden Teeth, a podcast about truth-telling on politics and health. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Speaking to you from my basement in COVID isolation, I hope you're all staying as well as possible out there. The coronavirus pandemic has presented the world with unprecedented challenges, which is posing a plethora of difficult decisions to governments across the globe. Here in my home state of Colorado, we are, of course, facing those same circumstances. So that got my colleagues and me thinking about how we could help provide some guidance to policymakers that would inform how we can respond to the needs of people as this crisis unfolds. So we decided to commission a statewide poll all about the experiences, needs, and beliefs of people here in Colorado related to the pandemic. The organization I lead, Healthier Colorado, partnered with the Colorado Health Foundation to fund this new poll and we hired Magellan Strategies to conduct the survey. David Flaherty is that firm's founder and CEO, and he is our guest today on the pod. We're going to talk about the state of political polling, what's different about conducting a poll during this pandemic, and we'll talk about the results of the survey, which contains some surprises. You can view the results in their entirety by visiting Healthier Colorado's website, which is at HealthierColorado.org. Now, let's get to my conversation with David Flaherty of Magellan Strategies. David Flaherty, welcome.
1: Thank you, Jake. I I appreciate the time and the audience. Uh, It's great to be here and have a a fun discussion today. I'm sure it's going to be very, very interesting for your listeners.
0: So I've worked with a lot of pollsters before, and maybe it's because of my lack of social skills, or I just didn't think about it, but I've never really asked um, any pollster how they got to be a pollster. And so I'm going to pose that question to you. How How did you become a pollster?
1: Uh, Well, sure, Jake. I'm happy to answer that. Um, I got exposed to really uh, measuring voter opinion and public opinion research from my days when I was in Washington, D.C. I was in D.C. for 14 years, from 1992 to 2006. And uh, like many young folks right out of college, I uh, was involved in politics. And I ended up uh, with several jobs off and on over those years at the Republican National Committee. And my background was really in data. Building voter files, uh, studying voter trends, and uh, if you're in that line of work, you will eventually stumble across a pollster that's asking you for a sample, asking you how to weight a district, uh, try to come up with a model of what uh, turnout will look like, voter turnout that is, folks. Uh, you know, by gender, by age, by party, if it's a party registration state. And so, um, I started off really becoming exposed to voter opinion research and public opinion research by building. Uh, those sorts of models for other pollsters in Washington, D.C. on the Republican side of the fence. Um, you know, what is the state of Ohio going to look like? What is the state of Pennsylvania going to look like? How old or young is turnout going to be? And I would run programs off of the voter file. Um, and eventually, I never did work at a public opinion research firm, but I had friends and partners that did. And so over time, uh, I learned how to do it in the proper steps and the best practices and. Uh, you know, so I did that for years. I did that for a while also uh, when I was working actually at Americans for Prosperity um, but it all really started with my knowledge in and you know with basically voter data, voter files and and building turnout models, and basically being very comfortable with data around elections and politics
0: so how good at math do you have to be to be a pollster?
1: You have to be very good at math um, you really do what, what you really need to be good at is uh being accurate in measuring what percentage of all the votes cast are going to be older voters or younger voters um you know if if you're going to get a survey right these days and you know over my 25 plus years of doing politics and and measuring voter opinion uh turnout models have really changed and so it's really not as much math it's really having voter files and knowing how to go back and look at people that have voted in the past and making assumptions about who is likely to vote in the future without knowing what the truth will be until the day after the election. so um, But math is important. There's no doubt about it, and understanding probabilities and statistics. Um, but I feel that you know there's no better uh, exercise than doing surveys after surveys or just being a polling project manager, as we call it, where that's the person that pulls the voter file sample, sends it off to the call center or the online panel, uh, You know, really puts together the top lines, and then knowing how to put together
0: crosstabs. Opinion research has come a long way um, over the decades uh, to the point where, um, you know, people um, know, people who don't work in politics know names like Nate Silver or Frank Luntz. Um, And the methodology has changed over time. And I know in recent years, with people migrating away from landlines, pollsters have been experimenting with new ways to reach people. How would you first um, assess the state of polling in terms of? the best way to reach people and how has that changed in recent years for you?
1: Um, Sure, Jake. Um, I I still believe the telephone, um, both landlines and, but mostly cell phones is the best way to reach voters. Um, It's nothing, it's not nothing against online panels. And what I mean by folks, when I say an online panel, these are folks that uh, a company will give you uh, discounts and coupons to go to Walmart or something. And you're part of a panel, and these companies will send you all kinds of questions, and what will happen is, is, I will hire a panel, um, or somebody that owns an online panel. And in Colorado, there's roughly, you know, the panel that we used, which you know is called Dynata. D Y N A T A is the name of the company, formerly Survey Sampling International. And um, the and what I'll do is, is you know, online panels are all right, but the problem with an online panel is, folks, is is that The demographics or the percentage that's male and female, the percentage that's old and young, um, unemployed versus employed, educated, uh, does not match up well with the actual truth of the uh, population of registered voters. Like in Colorado, we know what the truth is. You know, we are roughly 41 percent of all registered voters in the state of Colorado is unaffiliated, about 31 percent Democrat and about 29 percent Republican. But so when I randomly draw a sample off of my voter file and then append phone numbers to it, I know I'm getting a good random sample of those voters. And then I can ask them, how likely are you to vote? And then ask them questions. And I feel that I can wait and do what I need to do. Online panels are different, though. Um, When I just send it out to a bunch of those people, you can choose to not participate in the survey or to participate but I have to I have to weight down the percentage of female voter or females because there's just too many females in there. People are too educated, to be honest with you. Um the demographics, if that makes sense, Jake, is just not marrying up to what the truth is of voter files. And I don't think we're ever gonna arrive at a point where we're gonna have an online panel that is so many people are a part of that or or have are bought into it or participate in them where it'll work. So uh that's sort of the the drawback right now to using online uh, sample. But we still use it to cover certain subgroups of the voter or general population, um, as we did for this recent survey that we did that we're going to discuss. Um, it, was, it was OK to use that because um, it helps fills up some of the quotas that we're trying to fill, such as, hey, we're looking to get about 550 female uh, respondent interviews. And online can help fill up whatever, 150 of those. Um, across X number of age ranges, if you will. So not to go on too long about you know getting in the weeds, Jake, but online panels are, are really still not mature enough to be reliable as a voter file and using the telephone. The other thing that we're uh, uh, playing around with though is texting people. You are allowed to text people as long as you hand punch in the person's cell phone number without them giving them your permission and seeing what those kinds of responses are. And we're looking forward to really testing that sort of data collection method uh, this cycle uh, in a couple of months or two, really, once we get hopefully what'll be um, on the other side of this uh, COVID virus and we're somewhat back to normals and we can get involved with crummy old political stuff again.
0: And you've been doing polling uh, like we're going to talk about um, in the midst of this COVID crisis. How has the crisis changed uh, the way you've been able to engage with people?
1: Um, Well, you know, Jake, one thing I would say first and foremost is, is depending on the purpose of a of a survey or a voter opinion survey. um, For example, we do a lot of surveys in Colorado on behalf of special districts and governments that are interested to are interested in going before voters and asking for a uh, voters to approve a, a tax increase uh for you know a construction project or to build a school or for roads or uh, a number of issues. And all we had a bunch of projects, you know, in January, February, ready to go, and all of them are on hold just because now is not the time to be asking people to approve a tax increase. It's uh obviously the economic Uh, pain and damage of the COVID virus, you know, you're just not going to get an accurate read. You're much better off as, and we can, you know, we have time to hold off on fielding those surveys until June or July when hopefully things at least stabilize or, you know, or improved for people. With regards to political surveys, uh, to be very honest with you, Jake, we have not uh, put any, you know, type of, you know, who would you vote for for president? Who would you vote for for the U.S. Senate? Or any other local races here in Colorado, just because I feel that uh, there's so much uh, bigger issues that people are facing in trying to deal with this virus from losing their job to just families trying to uh, get their heads around remote learning for their children, you know, uh, if you will. Um, the bottom line is, is we, it's just now's not the time to really do a survey like that other than the one that we did. However, the one advantage that is going on right now is everybody is at home, and our response rates, um obviously for the survey that we're about to talk about, were were through the roof. They were for a survey that was as long and as extensive as this one that we did on behalf of Healthier Colorado and the Colorado Health Foundation, um, we were amazed at how quickly we were able to complete our roughly uh, eleven hundred interviews, uh, eleven hundred and fifty interviews roughly. Um, we, we finished up three or four days ahead of time than we typically would if there had not been the COVID virus going on.
0: Let's talk about the survey. Um, economic impact is something that we asked about. That's obviously in the news and on the minds of uh, many Coloradans and Americans. What did we find?
1: Well, what we found is just under half of Coloradans have been impacted regarding either losing their job, which we measured at 16% of respondents had said they had lost the job because of coronavirus. 18% said they have lost income of some shape or form. And another 13% said they've had their hours reduced or jobs reduced. So if you combine those three categories of folks that have experienced a loss of the income pre-virus, that, that comes to 47%. Um, so half of our friends, neighbors, and our communities are really, uh, really getting hit hard. Um, the some of the characteristics of the population subgroups that are really feeling the brunt are folks that are eighteen to twenty-nine years old, young folks. And as you can imagine, those could be people that work in restaurants. There could be people that are you know just got hired recently, you know, give or take you know five years, if you will, at a company. Um, Younger folks are really uh, that, you know, among younger folks, 18 and 29 years old, 64% have either lost a job, lost income or had hours reduced. So our younger folks are really, really getting hit hard. Um, it's also folks that are uh, lower on the income scale. Folks that have annual income of $30,000 or less, um, 53% have experienced a downturn Um Households that have a child 18 or younger, you know, not a child but just you know, as a family, 54% of them have been negatively impacted, and then folks on Medicaid, 61%. So, um, it's 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 a really hard hit, obviously. um, But those are unfortunately the the population subgroups and people that are really in need uh, that are feeling the brunt of this.
0: We're in a a debate right now across the country about how and when we're going to reopen the economy. And uh, I know that has been a, 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 you know, certainly a a featured political debate um, in this state. And we asked about it on the poll. What did you find out?
1: Uh, Well, what we found is uh, that basically two thirds or 64% of Coloradans prefer to policy at keeping businesses closed uh, until there's more widespread testing available. People are definitely putting health before economic need, uh, Jake, without question, only twenty nine percent of our respondents said that they preferred a policy that would open up business sooner rather than later and and put folks at risk or you know create the risk of, of uh, you know continuing the virus. but probably the most striking finding in the research was, are the folks that are out of work, the folks that have lost jobs or an income, two-thirds of them said, even though they're the ones that need the job and the revenue and the money more desperately than those that do not, two-thirds of them said they preferred a policy that kept businesses closed until we had more testing uh, that was available. Without question, uh, you know, The policy or advocating aggressive policies to opening up our businesses sooner rather than later and to reduce social distancing measures um, is that viewpoint is clearly in the minority um, from what we found in our survey.
0: Wait, so you're saying the people who uh, lost their jobs or lost pay um, were just as likely or more likely to say that we should go slow, if you will, in reopening the economy. Uh, Why do you think that is?
1: Well, Jake, I'll be honest with you i I feel that uh you know understanding just some of the demographics of who these folks i mean a vast majority of them are younger um but the bottom line is is that I just think they understand that this this coronavirus and the the risk of getting it and the risk of dying is real, and people believe that, and I just feel that they know. Um, And have seen enough in the media, or heard enough from a family member, um, or themselves, or someone in their own household. They've seen what this virus can do, and they just believe it's better to wait this out rather than trying to rush back to work, and obviously making things worse. And I think it's it's you know it's a a lot of this is about me myself and I. And not to say that people don't care about their neighbor, but that I believe is coming through loud and clear. Where people like, look, I want to get back to work as much as anybody. However. Um, the last thing I want is to be on a respirator. And they've probably seen um, other cities such as New York, you know, and, and Seattle and other places and places around the world where they've seen how how horrible this disease can get from ravaging your lungs. Um, I think that those images and just that experience is something that people do not want. And they're willing to wait it out and, and figure something out until uh, there's better days ahead.
0: So on this question of the pace at which we should reopen the economy um, you know, versus keeping it closed and making sure that people stay safe. Um, it looks here like Democrats were more likely to say uh, that we should uh, keep closed until it's safe than Republicans were. However, when you dig into this Republican crosstab, um, it's not as if uh, an overwhelming majority uh, of Republicans are saying that we should um, hurry up and open the economy. What did you find there?
1: Absolutely. Right. Um, an overwhelming number of democratic leaning individuals are self-identified Democrats. 80% of them preferred a policy where they kept businesses closed. Uh, but among Republicans, 55% of men, uh, uh, you know, of Republican men, uh, you know, support opening up businesses. Uh, 55% is not a significant majority as we refer to it. It is a majority. Um, but again, individuals in rural areas of our state forty percent pockets of where in Colorado uh, where there are a high concentration of republican you know identified individuals it is it is far from overwhelming, even among those Republicans in those areas of our state so i I just feel that even though I think we're seeing a lot here in our state, the you know protests a couple of Sundays ago um about opening the, uh you know things up i i you know it's it's a majority perhaps but it's not an overwhelming majority and there are plenty of of folks that are saying look let's let's go at you know let's go a safe you know let's go slowly with here not opening up quickly um you know and in effect folks that are in a rural area 56 percent prefer to wait um people in small town areas of our of our state uh you know which are considered more conservative, more Republican, a majority of them say, no, let's stick with option A and not open anything up too quickly. So, um, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of discussion around that. Um, we can understand that that vocal minority uh, that is trying, uh, you know what I mean, and, and strongly advocating for opening up the businesses, but they are overwhelmingly in a minority. And um, i not saying everybody's opinion always matters, uh, you know, and respecting each other's opinions. But on this this one debate, the folks that want to open businesses now and ease social distancing and uh, stay-at-home orders are, are in this significant minority, without question.
0: How about the male-female split? You know, uh, on this question, or if there's any other male-female split that you noticed that was significant um, in the poll as a whole. Um. You mean on this particular question, Jake? This question, or was there anything else that really popped out on you um, when it came to the gender split?
1: Um, Well, on this gender split, well, I mean, for this one question, 62% of men also agreed, or uh, with option A of keeping businesses closed, where 66% of women said that they are more comfortable with uh, with keeping businesses closed, excuse me, where men, uh, 62% agreed with the same policy. Sorry, I'm getting my options A and B uh, mixed up here for a minute. But overall in this survey, it's very apparent on many of our questions that women, women in urban areas, women in lower income households, as well as higher income households, suburban women um, and mothers um, and women with families, uh, meaning we have an 18 year old individual in the household or younger, they are really feeling the stress and worry that has come along with the COVID virus than men do. Um, they're worried about their both their short-term and long-term mental health. Um, and this isn't just limited to folks and populations that are in need or, uh, or more likely in need of assistance uh, from private or public sources. Um, women are really, really taking on a lot of stress and some mental health issues and concerns right now um, and I, without question, think it's something that, you know, decision makers and and, and leaders, if you will, in our state should should look at addressing um, now um, as we're going through this and being aware of that. And afterwards, and I and I we also have some open ended questions in this survey asking people, what's your biggest concern? And there's several, several questions in there regarding uh, mothers that are, are trying to deal with distance learning and having their children at home rather than at school. Um, they're dealing with income uh, issues and loss of income. They are much more worried than men appeared to be um, in how things will be in 12 months, both financially um, and in a lot of other areas. So I, I think that the gender split is is one big observation in this where, uh, you know, God bless them, but the, you know, the women in our, in the state of Colorado really, um they need, you know, they could use some help. You know what I mean? They need a break, if you will. And the survey, uh, especially the open-ended verbatims, really speak to that. And I would encourage folks listening to this podcast, read through all of them. And you can really see and hear and feel and understand the emotions and the frustrations and just uh, the worry that is out there among among women of all, uh, you know, regions and economic backgrounds in our state.
0: You mentioned worry and stress. We asked about um, the impact that this crisis is having on people's mental health. And what did we find?
1: Um, Well, what we did find, and I'm sorry, give me one second as I'm going through our questions here to bring that up. Um, We asked two questions, really. Do you feel that worry or stress related to the coronavirus has had a negative impact on your mental health or not? 53% said yes. 19, uh, and of those 53%, 19% said, yes, a major negative impact. And 34% said, yes, a minor impact. And uh, so we have half of our state really saying, you know, the worry and the stress is impacting me. Um, And then 46% said, no, uh, we've not had a a negative impact. When you go looking closer at the cross tabs underneath just that initial question, Jake, what you really find is, not surprisingly, folks that still have their job or say that they have not had their income, uh, you know, reduced in any manner, and some folks that are retired or not participating in Colorado's workforce, those folks uh, are, are, are saying that they're not as worried about the coronavirus impacting their mental health. It's the folks that have lost their jobs. It's the folks that have lost income. And it's the mothers out there that are really, uh, really saying that. Hey, I've had a, a major negative impact on my mental health. And when you ask people how concerned are you about any lasting negative impacts uh, from the coronavirus may have on your mental health uh, for you or somebody in your household, thirteen percent said they were very concerned, and thirty-three percent said they were very concerned. So if you combine that very and somewhat concerned, you get forty-six percent. However, folks that said that. In the the prior question that they've had uh, said yes, the mental health, their negative, imp- the worry and stress of coronavirus has impacted their mental health. Sixty seven percent of those folks uh, say that they are very or somewhat concerned about long lasting negative impacts. So, um, mental health uh, is definitely something that uh, we need to keep an eye on and uh, to address as we get through this uh, and. Um, as as we try to, you know, as a society and a community move forward.
0: Yeah, these these results are really striking to me. You know, when you see a result that says a majority of people in Colorado um, are saying that they've had, um, that this crisis has had a negative impact on their mental health, that's that's gotta be a concern. But also I was, you know, when we were formulating this question on the poll Um, I think I told you at the time, I don't think we, I don't think I've ever worked on a poll when we've asked somebody about their mental health status. And I think part of the reason why we hadn't uh, up until now is because we were a little bit worried about how, what what sort of honesty we would get in the responses. Have you uh, asked about people's mental health before in a poll? And what were your expectations coming into this, asking it in the way we did?
1: absolutely and that's an excellent question Jake um, in the past when we have asked personal questions to respondents uh, regarding their mental health uh, you you will get a higher percentage of don't know refused no opinion um, but in this question uh, only one percent refused the question
0: that's that's amazing
1: it is amazing and I feel that you know why though Jake I feel that the uniqueness of this pandemic is first of all, nobody in our generation or you know has been around has ever experienced anything like this and in a sad way, I think that one thing that has really lifted people up is the sense of community and neighbor, and that I feel that any sort of stigmas or reservations about admitting uh having mental health uh, concerns um you know is is not somebody that things that some perhaps want to admit uh you know especially to a stranger. And, um, I feel that we're all in this together and that because our lives are so different than before the virus that people felt more open and comfortable in answering those questions. It's, um, it really is amazing. And I just feel that it's, it's okay now, uh, among your neighbors to admit that, yeah, I'm, I'm down, I'm stressed out. I'm, I'm worried, um, regardless of, uh what your your background or region may be in the state of Colorado where people say i'm i'm not really sure how i'm going to pay my bills come september or even next month and um and that yeah and um that has made me cranky it has made me short tempered i have noticed behavior my own behavioral changes because i know either whether you're suppressing that frustration or acting out um that's all over our, our verbatims when we asked people the open ended question In your own words, please describe how your mood, emotions, or mental health have been affected by the response. Um, You know, just one example here, folks. I am optimistic and nervous at the same time. There are times when you get stressed or worried about the news, but you try to stay calm. Male, eighteen to twenty-nine years old, Jefferson County. Um, You know, I am unsure and fearful of the unknown and what is going to happen. Male, thirty to thirty-four, Pueblo County. you know you have again, you want to talk about the females uh, or female folks respondents having stress. It's difficult to describe, but I'm trying to be strong for my kids, female thirty to thirty four I think that feeds into some of it too, Jake, where uh, the role models being a parent and being a mother uh clearly they're concerned, but they they don't want to show it um uh, you know it, it's it's and I just feel that you know these are very frank and open. Verbatim responses that uh, really uh, tell a story. You know, um, you know, it's it's amazing stuff. And I encourage all your listeners to really download and read this, uh, read these comments, because um, it'll really give you a a granular understanding of what uh, perhaps you and your neighbors are going through, and um, you're not alone.
0: We also asked people about the future in in a couple of different forms. I was also somewhat surprised by these responses. Um, Beginning with, we asked about whether people thought the worst was uh, ahead or behind us. What did they say?
1: Well, uh, basically we did. Yeah, We asked 43% of Coloradans uh, feel that the worst of the coronavirus is yet to come. 35% think that the worst is behind us, and 21% did not have an opinion to the question. Again, when you break it down by gender, 38% of men, worst is yet to come. Among women, it's 48%, nearly 10 points higher. Um, Folks that are are really concerned, folks that either have lost their job, lost income, or lost paid hours, 47% saying the worst is yet to come compared to uh, 35% that say the worst is behind us. Or the folks that still have a job, 38% say that uh, the worst is behind us. It's the folks, though, Jake, that are, are more economically vulnerable. Um, you know, Folks in households that make $30,000 or less, 50% say the worst is yet to come. Um, when you look at other uh, you know, folks of color, African Americans, they're very, very worried. 55% of them say the worst is yet to come. And some of the correlations in this data to this question I just would point out is if you are more likely to say that you have not been economically impacted significantly from this, you still have a job, or if you're retired, you're more likely to feel that the worst is behind us because you haven't experienced, uh, you know, a serious setback to your daily life or to your, your income, you know, where you know things are going to be all right and you're going to be able to pay for things. So um, that really comes through. Um, where the folks that have really had an impact or folks that have a disability or, you know, interestingly enough, uh, people that uh, with employers that do not provide sick leave, 47% worst is yet to come. And only 33% saying the worst is behind us compared to 41% that's saying the worst is yet to come that do have sick leave, you know, so there are policies. And there's insights into this research that showing People that are are more or less have some safety net or some buffer uh, to these uh, just cold hard tragedies of loss of income uh, is clearly showing through. Um, and it's an impact not just on the mental health, but their outlook on our, our, is the worst behind us or the worst yet to come.
0: You mentioned that African-Americans were more pessimistic on the question about whether the worst was behind us or not. Were there any other significant um, uh, racial differences in these responses
1: um well i would just say that in our summary we do talk about uh you know african americans were uh without question uh but to, compared to hispanic uh, individuals versus non-white hispanics that yes people of color and uh folks uh, of that are asian um there is a higher concern and fear that the worst is yet to come compared to folks that are you know white or white and non-hispanic um, it's not overwhelming, Jake, in every question, um, but it's definitely there uh, that that populations of color do seem to have more anxiety and less optimism. Um, and it's hard to say why that is uh, to some extent. African-Americans, we did do an oversample of African-Americans. We interviewed a total of 140 of them. Um, and not to digress from your original question here, um, but... Again, folks, when you go back and when they're talking about the question of some of the comments, not just about mental health, but about what's your biggest worry, um, you see many African-American respondents uh, clearly stating, I'm familiar with the statistics with this virus, and I'm really at risk, uh, me and my family, as an African-American or an older African-American. And obviously, um, that's going to increase uh, worry levels uh, well above what you know uh, the statewide averages are.
0: I think a lot of us, uh, with this extra time on our hands, are starting to think about the future and whether or not we're going to come out of this crisis and live and work differently than we did before. Um, So we asked uh, what other people thought. What did they say? Well,
1: we have a couple of questions, Jake, to talk about. First and foremost, uh, you know, we asked the question. Uh, some people have said after the coronavirus is under control, the way we live, socialize, and work will return to how it was before the coronavirus outbreak, while other people say that we, the way we live, socialize, and work will change significantly as a result of our experience with the coronavirus, which comes closer to your point of view. Two-thirds of respondents, Jake, or 65%, said they anticipate significant changes in the way we work, socialize, and live compared to only 28% that say things are going to return how it was. Um, And some of the folks that really feel strongly that things are going to change significantly, let me just kind of rattle off some subgroups here. Uh, Urban women, women that live in cities, 74% significant change. That's nearly 10 points higher than the overall Um, Folks that are incomes of 30,000 household uh, income or less, 71%. Folks on Medicaid, 80% say there will be significant changes. African-Americans, 72% significant changes. Um, So, you know, it, it appears to be the drive for change are people that are more vulnerable in our society, obviously, to these economic downturns where uh, you know, the necessities of life become out of reach or very difficult to achieve uh, and obtain and maintain. So where the folks that are uh, in a more safe, economic, secure place are more likely to say things are going to return to how it was. Um, and just for an example, you know, uh, among urban women, only 21% believe it's going to return how it was. Um only a quarter of folks that are in households of $30,000 or less, only 22% of African Americans. And there is some unique insights into the political breakdown of this. And, as, and I did this, or I looked at this closely across women. Democratic women, 78% thinks there will be significant changes compared to only 59% of Republican women. Republican women feel that uh, they, a majority do still think there will be significant changes, but nowhere near as much as... Democratic women, unaffiliated women, are close to Democratic women, with seventy-five percent of them saying that things uh, will change significantly. Um, so, how's that set up for moving forward once we get past this virus and get it under control? People are going to anticipate changes. They're going to expect changes, and what those changes look like will be, uh, you know, will be very interesting.
0: Uh, so, you're a Republican, and. Um... I want to let you in on a secret um, that uh, is, is a topic uh, among my um, progressive friends. A lot of my progressive friends um, have been speculating that you know maybe um, this COVID crisis will lead to what, in their view, would be better things in terms of um, helping uh, the country see all the leaks in, it, in our safety net and our how our lack of social supports were um, have, have proven to be inadequate, and perhaps there would be a, a groundswell of support for um, uh, among people to uh, build a stronger safety net and uh, address things like the, you know the, since the fact that our uh, health insurance uh, system is linked to employment, when people lose their job in the midst of crises like these, they also leave, uh, lose their health insurance at a particularly um, inopportune time. And so um, if you recall, when we were developing the poll, I, we thought about many different ways to come at this question of uh, how do we how do we test this hypothesis that people will essentially become more progressive um, as a result of the crisis. And rather than asking a grand philosophical question about that, we asked about um, individual policies. Um, so with that set up, go ahead and, and talk about how we... What about asking those questions?
1: Sure, Jake, and and here's how we presented and measured uh, support, if you will, or voter, or excuse me, uh, public opinion around this. We said, some people say the government should do more to protect the public health of Coloradans after the coronavirus is under control. I'm now going to read to you a list of things the government might consider doing to support public health. After hearing these things, please tell me if you think the government should do more do about the same or do less than it was doing prior to the coronavirus outbreak. And when you pose the question that matter, and here's the five things that we said, making health care more affordable, 65% of respondents said the government should be doing more. Assist Coloradans to pay for food and fight hunger, 61% think the government should be doing more. Assist Coloradans in paying for uh, their rent or mortgages, you know, and, and helping the homeless. Fifty nine percent think the government should should do more, and uh, assist homeless uh, Coloradans. Fifty eight percent thought the government should do more, and then paid sick family and medical leave for Coloradans that currently do not have it. Fifty four percent, a majority. These responses, Jake, um, and we do follow uh, questions uh, and you know opinions regarding these sorts of issues are well above what they were before the coronavirus outbreak. And um, I do believe that there will be an opening in the public debate and more support from folks that have really uh, been hit um, by this coronavirus, either financially or uh, their own health of their family, that you know, there's no better example right now of why we have government and why government is providing more leadership than it ever has. This is different than the 08 uh, economics, uh, you know, recession. Um, government is clearly leading in every front with regards to health as well as job security and financial well-being, and I just feel that. There is a good opportunity for progressives, Jake, you know, and perhaps some Democratic elected officials that advocate for investing more in these types of um, services uh, that, you know, in many cases, the government may be the only source or proper entity that can provide uh, to these uh, populations in need, especially since our populations in need has grown exponentially uh, with this. So that, those are my thoughts on that, but the support is clearly there right now. Some things, as always, as you know, hopefully we get to a better day sooner rather than later, um, support for these will dial back somewhat. But I would still think you're going to have measurable amounts of Coloradans and the population before this and afterwards. Being much more open to policies that would advocate more investment in in these types of programs through the government, which, and to be very frank with you, Jake, you know, for a long time and in certain political environments so over the last twenty to thirty years, uh, support for those kinds of policies have not been popular. Um, but it, it's it's very evident that I think folks will listen more now and give it more thought and be more open to uh, to, to, you know, advocating for those types of policies.
0: Okay. So I'll tell my comrades there's a chance.
1: (laughs) I think there's a chance not to digress, but I think that the family medical and sick and family leave is one thing that needs some work. And I'm only saying that because I know, uh, there's been some proposed legislation to try to get that done. And there's been some issues even within the own democratic caucus. And that's a tough one. Um, right now, But I think the other four uh, that are well over 50 percent support and close to 60 percent or higher um, makes a lot of sense to a lot of people.
0: When we were uh, working on this survey, uh, we looked at a lot of um, national polls. And I should also say that this is the first uh, poll in Colorado statewide that's been publicly released on COVID. So we didn't have a Colorado poll to look at and compare to, so we instead we looked at some national polls to see how they phrase some questions, and we even um, borrowed at least one uh, from a national poll. How do the results in uh, Colorado that we generated compare to uh, national results that you've seen?
1: Sure. it's. You know, in just certain questions, uh, for example, the policy of whether or not we should be opening up businesses or keeping them closed until there's more testing and, and more safety uh, policies in place. Colorado uh, is a little bit below the national level where national sh- surveys, Jake, have shown that 70 to 75% of Americans uh, support a policy where we go slow and do not open business quickly we're a little bit below that by about uh you know 5 to 10 points um but not not too far out of the realm by by any means um and and i think that's probably one of the biggest questions as related to that policy because that as you can see is being argued and debated in in many states around the country uh and in states that have different uh you know political environments some are obviously more republican and conservative where others are more democratic and progressive and um I feel that, you know, Colorado, we're just a little bit behind the national numbers. But I would also say that national polls can tend to uh, be more progressive naturally on who they bring into, uh, you know, involving the population centers and so forth. Where Colorado, we have more of a balance of suburban to urban uh, to small town and rural than uh, the nation as a whole. And I think that's reflected in our survey, why we do have slightly higher number of people at 29%, advocating uh, opening up businesses sooner rather than later, um, but still, it's it's not a sea change to national surveys whatsoever. That's that's one of the biggest things compared to the national. Um, I do believe our uh, ratings on how well the state, federal, or local governments have been handling the coronavirus are similar uh, to some what has been seen on nationally, and, and basically, what I mean by that is. And we did a couple of questions, as you know, Jake, regarding measuring—not um, just, um, you know, uh, pr- Donald Trump, Governor Polis, uh, the CDC or the Center for Disease Control, the Colorado Department of Health. Those have been very similar, where President Trump himself has not gotten good marks in providing trustworthy information to the public. But then also um, another, you know, question that I think was uh, very very telling, uh, was basically asking people, uh, how well would you rate, uh, you know, the response from the state government of Colorado, your local school district, uh, the federal government, and so forth, and in in addressing uh, the response to the coronavirus. And not surprisingly, local school districts have done very well uh, you know, two thirds of people said they either are doing an excellent or a good job in addressing it. State government also does well. Uh, nearly two thirds of respondents saying that they're either doing an excellent or good job. Um, and, uh, but the other thing though, is that the federal government does not do well at all. Only 12% think the federal government has done an excellent job and only 25% a good job. So, uh, To put it in perspective, uh, the federal government is uh, probably the one government entity of your different levels of government that is really um, uh, coming in last, if you will, when it comes to uh, job approval rating and approval of handling of the virus.
0: And how has this survey and any other data you've picked up along the way on the COVID crisis affected how you're seeing the 2020 national election?
1: Well uh that's a very good question because i think as as time goes on uh everybody will start to focus more on on this election and know that we're going to have an election however one is handled uh, whether it's all mail ballot for the country or not is a whole other debate um but i do believe right now is you know especially this week um you know this week being april the week of april 28th uh jake um I think uh, many folks, not just in Colorado, but in the country, have lost confidence in the president's ability to address this crisis. Um, In all due respect, uh, talking about ingesting household cleaners and such in ultraviolet light and just his daily press conferences have gone to being hopeful and uh, self-congratulatory to slightly amusing to now uh, concern where... um, the complete lack of trust in Donald Trump's ability to address this crisis has completely uh, bottomed out. And the economy is also one big factor that uh, the president could have counted on before COVID. And um, when the middle, the small amount of middle, only about 10 or 15% of voters in Colorado really, I think, make their decision or start to address and assess whether or not President Trump deserves a second term and what he's done and what he plans on doing in the future. Um, Right now, things could not be in a worse place for him Um, because of the economy being completely underwater and his handling of the virus having extremely poor marks. Uh, At the same time, you know, I don't believe that Joe Biden has this thing sewn up by any means. Um, He was not the strongest candidate, you know, really pre COVID after the 10 debates, He, he, you know, he, he did eventually, uh, you know, uh, out, outmaneuver Bernie and his forces. But I really believe that Joe Biden has a lot to show American people, that he has the energy and the drive and the stamina to be president. Um, but it, the bar is pretty low, I guess, is how I would describe it right now, where with the shape that Donald Trump is in, um, as I just described, the bar is pretty low for Joe Biden to get it done. However, I would just say that we are six months away. I do anticipate the economy will have improved by the end of the summer and into September, and that should help Donald Trump. Um, but the lingering impact of COVID and where we are with regards to stay at home orders, to our way of life, and placing blame on this—you uh, know, our lives all being changed—and that you know Donald Trump's administration not being on top of this, and Alex Azar, his. Health and Human Services Secretary, uh, really not taking the virus seriously. There's a lot of accusations to be made, but I would say right now, if I was a betting man before the virus, I thought Donald Trump had an inside track at that time. Um, Now I would have to think that Joe Biden does have the inside track uh, because the president currently is failing to convince the American people that he is addressing the COVID virus uh, pandemic uh, effectively.
0: David Flaherty, your firm's website is MagellanStrategies.com. I would encourage people, especially if you're a political nerd like I am, sign up for his updates. They're fantastic. And the name of your podcast, what is that?
1: It's called Smarter Politics, Jake, and we're going to have you on that next as soon as we get past our release, our second release uh, of uh, this amazing health care survey that we've done with your organization. But it's called Smarter uh, Politics. and uh, it's uh, a running commentary from me and some of my colleagues here at Magellan Strategies on Colorado politics, as well as national politics, uh, but also public policy and other issues that are impacting more or less Colorado, such as transportation, housing, and so forth. So it is, um, it's is—it's not all about who's going to win and lose and that boring rhetoric. We talk a little bit of behind the scenes about some things we see on demographic changes and, and from our own internal polling that we release from time to time. So
0: Awesome. Well, I'm looking. Uh, look forward to being on, and thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Jake. I really appreciate the time, and I hope you and all of your listeners uh, get through this virus, stay safe, uh, keep their health in mind, and um, stay optimistic. We are going to have better days, We're sooner rather than later, hopefully, folks. But please stay safe, and, and I just hope everybody gets through this okay.
0: You're here. There you have it. Hey, if you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this podcast. The algorithm demands it in order for us to reach more people. Also, remember that you can view all the results of the poll we discussed today, including top lines and crosstabs by visiting healthiercolorado.org. I'll see you next time.